0: And so over the past few weeks in this season of Eastertide, we've reflected on what it means to be a community living in the light of the resurrection and what God might be calling us to be and to do in these moments. We've expressed our desire to hold on to our big tentedness, but we've also recognised that that takes work and commitment and that anything new takes courage and tenacity and determination. And last week we turned more explicitly to conversations about faith and spirituality. And all those previous messages are on our website if you want to catch up and I would encourage you to do that. And I do think these all fit together but I still very much hope that this morning will be open, accessible and helpful to you whether you've been part of our conversation up until this point or not. Next week we'll be celebrating Pentecost together And then after that, we'll be starting a four-week series exploring the book of Ruth. And so all that being said, let's pray together. And so gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so as we approach the end of our conversations about sexuality and the church, I think we need to acknowledge how these months have stretched and pressed us. It might be that many of us, even if we've been around for many years, haven't been part of something like this before, and I'm so appreciative of the openness and willingness to think and engage and share together that so many of you have shown. I've had some really wonderful conversations over this time, and I'm thankful for that. Last week, we looked at the seven texts in the Bible that refer specifically to same-sex relations, and we believe that we come to understand God's will in the Scriptures, but also that those Scriptures require interpretation. A minister colleague of mine shared something helpful with me on this. She said that Alexander Campbell, who was a pastor who left Scotland for the States in the early 19th century, He used to say that Scripture is best interpreted in a circle of understanding which has God at the centre and humility as its circumference. By Campbell's description, if you or I, uh, after stating our reasons for a particular interpretation of a particular text of the Bible, aren't willing to add the phrase, but I could be mistaken, then we've placed ourselves outside the circle of understanding. So as I've said in this series, we've not covered everything that there is to be said on these subjects. That would take far longer. But these are modest sermons from a male, white, straight, almost middle-aged pastor who loves Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, and who has some perspective to share, finite as it may be. And so this morning we turn to Acts Over these weeks, we've been focusing mostly on sexuality and our LGBTQ sisters and brothers, but for the moment, I want us to think about the church. And as we come to our New Testament readings this morning, there is a dilemma amongst this group of early Christians. There's a question that keeps coming up over and over, like a sort of ancient whack-a-mole, everywhere they turn, it appears. And that question is this, who is it That keeps trying to put God's love in a carefully controlled box? Who keeps standing in the way of God's love being shared among as many people as possible? And Luke, the writer of Acts, Luke's answer to that question is that it's the church, and I'm not sure that much has changed ever since. And the Spirit of Christ is like a wrecking ball knocking down our walls. We build walls, the spirit knocks them down. We draw lines and boundaries, the spirit rubs them out. And in the first story that we have from Acts chapter 10, we find Peter in a pretty peculiar position. He's in the city of Joppa in the Mediterranean, staying with a Jewish friend of his named Simon. And it's around midday and Peter is up on the roof of Simon's house praying, because that's his daily spiritual practice. And maybe because it's warm, maybe because he hasn't had any lunch yet, he falls into a trance and finds himself having a strange vision in which this big blanket sort of comes down from the sky, full of all kinds of animals, including animals that Peter calls unclean. And the reason that Peter calls them unclean is that the Bible calls them unclean. It isn't just that Jews weren't allowed to eat pork, there was a whole range of meats that they were forbidden from eating, and we're talking a sheet with pictures of all these things on them, all the things that are on the do not list eat in Leviticus chapter 11. In this vision, he hears a voice saying to him, Peter, get up, kill that stuff and eat. Peter's horrified by what he hears. I will not, he said, absolutely not, that's dirty. I've never eaten that in my life, and I have no intention, starting now. And then comes the response which echoes through the centuries and still challenges us today, the voice says, Peter, do not call something dirty if God has made it clean. Then it happens again, and the voice says, eat. No way, absolutely not. If God's made it clean, don't call it dirty. Three times this happens, with Peter refusing each time until after the third time, the big blanket disappears, And Peter is left wondering, what in the world just happened to me? Peter didn't know in that moment, of course, what was about to unfold and hence what this vision was supposed to mean. If we fast forward just one chapter in the book of Acts, we come to a situation, it's a week or two later, and we're not in Joppa anymore. Now we're in Jerusalem, where a group of believers has gathered And there's food here. There's bread and wine, maybe some figs and some fish. Make no mistake, though, all the food on this table is not on the list in Leviticus 11. It's all kosher. It's clean. It's the right stuff. And because even though these folks believe in Jesus and were transformed by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they're also still Jewish and keeping to the letter of the laws. The Bible refers to this group of early Jewish Christians simply as the circumcised. And so, this group are waiting to dig into their food, but they're also waiting for Peter. And they're upset with him. See, they've been hearing things about him. The jungle drums worked just as well then as they do now. And they've heard that after this strange experience on Simon's roof, that Peter actually went into the home of a Gentile, that's someone who isn't Jewish, somebody named Cornelius and ate with him, and stayed at his house, and shared about Jesus with him, and baptised all of his household. Now you'd think this would be a good news story, right? But this was just not how it worked. This was not what Sir Peter, what Peter was supposed to have done. Now this isn't these Jewish Christians being silly, or petty, or small-minded. It's far bigger than that. It runs far deeper in them than that. This is their sacred scripture. The same Bible that says don't eat pigs also says don't associate with Gentiles. This was part of the non-negotiable code you followed in order to be who you were called to be. This was part of what it meant to be the people of God, which begs the question, is it possible that God would ever call us to do something that seems to contradict what we read in God's word? You see, that's the bind they're all in. Their heart, their instinct, their upbringing, their tradition, and their Bible say, these people are unclean. And if you reach out to them and take hold of them, then you are unclean. And so the apostles and the believers in Jerusalem are deeply hurt and angered by what they interpret as Peter's rejection of the scriptures and of his tradition the tradition into which Jesus has been born, the tradition which has given Israel its very life. And so this is what Peter walks into when he finally makes it to dinner. He shows up and all those criticisms that they've been making of Peter amongst themselves, they're now ready to criticize to his face. But then he tells them the story, the story about the vision with the sheet and the nasty animals and the voice and how God led him to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, and how, as he shared the gospel with them, and all these people, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just like the Spirit had fallen on them back in the beginning. And then in Acts 11, verse 17, we read Peter saying, So if God gave then the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in the way Luke tells us that when others heard this, they stopped objecting and instead began praising God. They said, We can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. But it doesn't end quite there. You see, it's one thing, isn't it, to say something in the moment, and it's another thing altogether for that something to sink into the depths of your being, into your bones and to have it become your core conviction. Which is why four chapters later, they find themselves right back in another church meeting, discussing, arguing even, about the very same issue. And that tells us how seismic a shift this is for these first Christians. They know that you can cut down a tree in 10 minutes, but can't grow another one for 10 years. These things matter, we don't dispense with them lightly. And they mattered because Moses said so. And a millennium and a half ago, this was important, and people have died because of their determination to keep these laws and customs ever since. This was how they were identified as God's people. If we allow this, what's next? Pulling down the temple, telling us we should all eat pork, who knows where it ends? And so some of them were insisting that these Gentile converts must be circumcised, and they required them to follow the law of Moses. And you have to give them credit enough, I guess, for caring enough about the will of God to wrestle with it, even to agonize over it, and to want with all their hearts to do it, even if they just understand what is going on. And this is first for us always, to want to do the will of God to discern what seems pleasing to the Spirit in these moments. The whole thing ends with Peter pleading with the gathered council not to trouble the Gentiles with added restrictions, but instead to call them to a life of faithfulness. Peter tells them that God has made no distinction between them and us. You see, friends, it's all about grace. And it's by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that both they and we shall be saved, Peter says. If it was a matter of ethnic identity and of converts taking that on as a necessity, then grace would no longer be grace. And here's where these chapters in Acts start to bring us back to our conversation about sexuality and the church. And I guess that pretty much all of us, as we hear these texts in Acts, as we see the story of the early church unfold in these moments, we want to go and stand beside Peter as he makes the case for letting in the Gentiles. And that's a good impulse, and I'm totally there. But friends, I think if we rush too quickly to that point, we might miss what's actually going on here. Some of us may hear the story and think, "Okay, I get it. We are the Jerusalem Council LGBTQ folks are the Gentiles, and if God allowed Gentiles into full participation in the faith of Israel, then Christians should allow gay people fully into the church. Now, I don't dislike that equation, but here's the problem with it. Not only are we not standing beside Peter as he makes his case for inclusion, we're not even in the room. We're the ones standing outside in the halls with our ears pressed against the door, listening to the insiders argue as to whether or not letting us in will compromise the church's integrity. We're the ones all nervous with sweaty palms, hoping and hoping, hoping that God will include us too. The church, you and me, disciples of Jesus Christ, has forgotten some major things over the past 2,000 years. For one thing, we often forget what colossal, wild faith it must have taken for Peter and Paul and Barnabas and the others to take this step. And mostly what we've forgotten is our absolute non-presence in this moment. We've forgotten that we weren't participants in this meeting, we were the subject of this meeting. So often we have no concept of Christianity as a faith of outsiders being brought in by the unprecedented acceptance of the few. But this is what it means to be a Christian, to be a witness to faith that never belongs to us. that was not crafted for us, but that is offered to us just the same. And so here we are at the end of this short series, coming to the end of months of conversation I don't imagine that it will surprise any of you to hear me say that my mind and heart have shifted over the past 20 years of church leadership and have shifted even since making our home here in Shoebriness and it's taken me a while and I've learned this from so many people I love and respect. It's taken me a while because I tend to be careful even a little bit cautious when it comes to my own discernment. But I have come to believe that widening the acceptance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the church is not a slippery slope, as some might claim, but is simply fresh evidence that the Holy Spirit is still expanding our boxes. I've come to be persuaded that the lustful, self centered, fleeting behavior appropriately condemned by Paul in his letters is fundamentally different from the covenant relationships of LGBTQ Christians that are grounded in love and monogamy and commitment. I believe that there's never been a more critical need for a presence of communities of faith that encourage such relationships for gay and straight Christians. I've also come to appreciate the little wisdom that Jesus offers us about how to discern what is good for us today namely that if something bears bad fruit, it cannot be a good tree. And if something bears good fruit, it cannot be a bad tree. And I've shifted my perspective in some ways, yes, by reevaluating scripture, but also by coming to know and be friends with many LGBTQ Christians who are bearing good, beautiful fruit in the church and in the world. Finally, I do believe that welcoming LGBTQ Christians into full inclusion and participation in the body of Christ, just like every one of us sinners, is simply a matter of the church being the church, no more and no less. We don't know every twist and turn of the future. As we take this step, there will all, sorts, all likely be all sorts of other questions and challenges, because there always are and so together, valuing each voice and committing to finding compassion for all our sisters and brothers, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we trust him for all that lies ahead. The story we heard today of Peter on the roof with the bedsheet full of animals, the incident that led to turning the church upside down is traditionally called the conversion of Cornelius, because as a result of Peter's vision, Cornelius the Gentile and all of his family found Christ. But you know, it might just as well be called the continuing conversion of Peter, because what he found that day was more of a huge, ever-expanding family of Jesus, which is always bigger than we think. I think that sounds like pretty good news for a bunch of Gentile sinners like us. Friends, we're a big tent, and we always have been. We see courage across our community. Our commitment to justice grows every day. And part of us being at the church, and of responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, is to make our tent a little bit bigger today. Let's pray together. And so, gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures We thank you for how they encourage us and challenge us. We thank you particularly for what we read about the early church in the book of Acts and for how your spirit was stirring them up and changing the way that they saw the world so that they increasingly came to reflect you and your heart. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do the same amongst us. Keep changing us, keep helping us grow so that our life together reflects the love and grace of Jesus Christ